we have come down to the wire, haven't we? And uh, nobody emailed me questions, so I'm assuming you have none. Uh huh. Um, Patsy, you're not in the grandmother row up here. Come on. Did you did you write off all your grandkids? Okay. Let's uh, pray as we begin. Father, thank you for another Lord's Day. What good days they are. And we pray that you would help us now, teach us, give us, give us grace and wisdom. Always bind us to your word and help us to see clearly how to take its principles and apply them to our homes and families and children and our own lives. So will you give us help and wisdom and grace in these moments together today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now is this on? Okay. Um, this is Q&A mostly today. I do have a few things to say on the front end. Um, I've got Proverbs books. If any of you have been waiting for these, there's, I've got 10 of them up here. And uh, leave your $5 in the box and take the book. Okay, um, I've mentioned I've mentioned this book once before. Uh, Joe and Beth Lacour loaned me this book and these other things. I'm going to tell you about in a sec. For instruction in righteousness, this is like signposts and proverbs on steroids. Okay, it's it's categories of behavior, scriptures, questions, lots and lots of stuff to help detail. Um, how the scriptures apply to this or that situation, especially with our kids. Um, this is available on the website doorposts.com. Um, they also have a lot of other... Uh, this outfit is really good about checklists and um, lists of things to look for and watch for. Um, you're welcome to look at any of these after class. I got to give them back to to Joe and Beth. A checklist for parents, questions, and scripture for self-examination. How are we doing as parents? Then they've got several of these things. Um, the brother offended checklist. When when you've offended one of your brothers or sisters, um, what's that look like, and how do we go about? Reconciling that. Uh, the blessing chart. Um, there's lots of categories of obedience and what happens often as a result of obedience. And there's a place for, for encouragements and rewards. The go to the ant chart. Go to the ant sluggard. Learn a few things about being diligent instead of lazy. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, just take a look at these. You can find all of them on this website, doorpost.com. They're not, they're not cheap. The big book is about $39. If you order the book and this group of charts to go with it, you can get the whole mess introductory price for $59. 
And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not their spokesman, okay? I'm just telling you what the deal is, and you're welcome to check out that stuff. Um, I've, I've, I just want to review the books we've talked about. Most of those books are spread out up here in the top step. Please don't take them. You may look at them and leaf through them and see if it's something that scratches where you itch. Um, I'll, I'll say something about just a couple of these books. Um, the one up in the far corner, Withhold Not Correction by Bruce Ray, was the book that got my wife and me started on the road to parenting when our boys were first born. Um, if that book has a strength or a weakness, um, it focuses more on the, the corrective discipline side of things. Um, but it's, but it's, it's still a very good book. Bruce Ray is still a pastor out in uh, Washington State. And that book has been a great help to many, many, many people. Um, Ginger Hubbard's book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, takes the principles of shepherding a child's heart and instructing a child's heart and works them out in detail and helps you see how they function and gives you real examples of how that works when we're trying to get to a child's heart. Paul Tripp's book, Age of Opportunity, is about teens. And this is the newer edition of that book. My edition is almost as old as I am. Um, the new edition has a really helpful appendix in the back with a lot of questions and answers um, on things like um, gender confusion, uh, anxiety and depression, drugs and alcohol, um, motivation to do schoolwork, uh, no interest in the things of God. Um, how do I how do I discipline a teen who's now physically bigger than I am? Lots of you are in that category. Uh, so it's a really helpful addition to the original edition of this book, Age of Opportunity. Um, of course, signposts and proverbs. Uh, bottom row. The white cover book, Parenting, probably one of the best books out there on the market these days on the whole broad subject of parenting. That's by Paul Tripp. Uh, and really good. Uh, the book, A Practical Guide to Culture, is actually a couple years old, but it's a very, very helpful dissection of our current cultural situation. And if anything has happened since that book was written, it's gotten worse. But this book will give you a really, really good perspective on how to approach cultural issues, especially with regards to our children. Uh, the book, uh, top right, Purposeful and Persistent Parenting. How many of you guys know Steve Woodman? This was written by one of Steve's fellow elders uh, at the church in Dayton. And... Uh, Lots of, lots of practical, down-to-earth, helpful advice on parenting in these days. So I recommend that book to you as well. Um, the first book I ever recommend to parents, if parents come to me and say, what, what can I do? The very first book I recommend is When Sinners Say I Do, which is about marriage. Because if you're not on the same page, husband and wife, if your relationship is not what it ought to be, your parenting is not going to be what it ought to be. That's a, that's a given. Um, so that's a very helpful book on making sure your marriage is on the right page.
Okay, <clears throat> let's see. I think that's all I wanted to say, except that I refuse to answer any question that you may ask. So, um, let's go with Q&A. Um, I will probably repeat your question for the recording, so make it easy to understand so I can repeat it, okay? All right, have at it. The class is yours. Good, okay, let's, we, got, we got time to pray for the worship service today. Okay, anybody else besides Abby? Go ahead. Okay, the question is, what are my thoughts on Santa Claus? Um, he needs to go on a diet and shave. Um, my thoughts on Santa Claus. Um, so many of the questions that have to do with parenting come down to issues of Christian liberty. Um, and we can't make where we land the rule for absolutely everybody. Okay? Does the Bible say anything about Santa Claus? No. Um, there are some obvious things we must never do with our children with regard to Santa Claus. If you do anything at all, we must never portray Santa Claus the way he is portrayed in secular culture. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Hog wash. He knows no such thing. We attribute Santa Claus the attributes of God. And he's the giver of every good gift Santa Claus is. No, he's not. So, whatever, wherever you land on the Santa Claus issue, please don't land where the secular culture lands and make Santa Claus out to be God. Okay? Um, if you do anything with Santa Claus, make sure that your children know this is make-believe. This is fairy tale stuff. Do we, do we not tell our children other fairy tales because they're not true? No. No, of course not. We tell kids fairy tales. We tell them stories that aren't true. And it's obvious to them that this is the world of make-believe. And it's part, of, it's part of the development of their imagination, which came from God. And, and always take the opportunity when you're in the realm of make-believe and fairy tales and story and stuff, always take that opportunity to help your children remember that their imagination is a gift from God. And they're made in God's image. And God is the creator. And so we have creativity. How on earth did God come up with a thing as complex as the eye? What kind of an imagination does God have? Right? 
So where, where do we get our puny little imaginations? We got them from God. And stories and fairy tales are, are an expression of the imaginative, creative part of our being made in the image of God. So if you do anything with Santa Claus at all, and I understand if you don't, because he's been blown bigger than life, right? I mean, he, he's a fairy tale on steroids to the max. So I get it if you say, we're not doing anything about Santa Claus. That's your privilege. But if you do anything with Santa Claus, make sure he dwells in the realm of fairy tale and help your kids understand the difference between reality and fairy tale. Okay? So I landed absolutely nowhere on that question. Does that scratch where you itch? A little bit. Just, okay, curious question. How many, how many of you talk to your... How many of you have zero to do with Santa Claus? Anybody? Okay, good for you. How many have a little bit to do with Santa Claus? And you're willing to admit it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think some of those differences are healthy. But... You, we've got to help our kids understand. If we do anything at all, we've got to keep him in the category where he belongs. And that's hard to do in a culture that is so saturated with the reality, in quotes, of Santa Claus. Okay? Speak up real loud. Oh, sorry. So my question, I guess, is with our son, how do we handle other kids who do practice Santa Claus? Because there's part of me that's like, I don't want our son to ruin the Christmas magic. But then there's the other part that's like, am I kind of creating the mindset of let them live their truth? It's okay even if it's not real. So I'm kind of, what do I do with that? Okay, the question is, if we don't do Santa Claus... How do we help our kids understand those who do? And they interact with kids who do Santa Claus all the time. And what, what do we do? Do we want them to rain on their parade? <clears throat> that was a yes. <laughs> Joe, is, in case you don't know, Joe's alter ego is the Grinch that stole Christmas. Um. That's a hard question. Um, we have to help our kids understand that not everybody thinks about Christmas and Santa Claus the way we do. But we also have to help them understand. And, then, and, and so we explain how lots of the kids view Santa Claus. And we help them see the folly of that view. I mean, really? He goes down your chimney and back up again? And he makes it all over the entire world with one bag in his sleigh and he does that in one night? 
How, how mind-blowing is that? It's ridiculous. But some kids actually believe that. I, when I taught fourth grade, I heard from a very prominent member of our community who doesn't go to this church because I destroyed their son's belief in Santa Claus. I mean, mom was on the phone to me and not happy. We're, th- we're, g- we're friends today. And we got over that hump and, and we were okay. But, and, and it wasn't even an attempt to discredit Santa Claus. It was just a passing comment. You know? Some, probably, probably something like, well, you know, not everybody believes in Santa Claus. And this kid just, his, his, it just blew his mind. And mom told me about it. So our, our mission as parents is not to teach our children to go around blasting everybody's view of Santa Claus. That's, that's not our responsibility. That's not our kids' responsibilities. But we help our kids understand lots and lots of people in our culture today really believe in Santa Claus. If they want to do that, our mission is not to destroy that for them. But if they ask me, hey, hey, Johnny, you waiting for Santa Claus to come tonight? Uh, no. I'm not. And it's not because I've been bad. <laughs> Somebody asked one of our kids when we lived back in South Carolina, I think it was Benjamin, who's our oldest. Um, who's going to bring all your presents this week? Straight as a poker. The UPS man. <laughs> real st- a real story. I mean, they were hoping for the answer Santa Claus. But he knew that the UPS man delivered packages from grandparents in Ohio and grandparents in Wisconsin. And, oh, the UPS man. So I, we, I teach your kids to be sensitive to others. Um... We do that with a gazillion other subjects, don't we? You know, and and our kids will be the loneliest people on the planet if we teach them to buck against every view that other children hold that's not true. They will be the loneliest people on the planet. And we pretty much shut down their sense of mission as they grow and and hopefully become Christians and their sense of I've 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 got an outreach to the to my friends and my classmates and so forth and um, if you if you go around shutting down every false view that other children hold you pretty much isolate yourself and burn every bridge that might be an opportunity for them to have an influence for good is that okay? <laughs> John? Anxiety and depression are basically celebrated in today's culture, especially in teenagers. Um, almost promoted as normal. So, biblical perspective on that with teens. Um, 
just how we parent our kids through that when either they act like or think <coughs> they're maybe having it, or how do we instruct them without dismissing it? So my, my tendency, <coughs> my natural tendency is to say, well, that's dumb, you shouldn't say it like that. That's not the appropriate response for teenage girls. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, okay. Um, the question is, uh, anxiety and depression are major issues for a lot of young people, teenagers especially today. How do we as Christians um, respond to our kids? Is all the anxiety and depression that goes on today real? Is it attention getting? Is um, I'm expanding on your question a little bit. Um, okay, we 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 don't want to we don't want to pretend like it's not real. Okay. Is it overblown? Well, yes, majorly um, in our society and especially among teenagers. But we have to be really discerning as parents that we don't that we don't come across to our kids like it's never real because sometimes it is. And it affects different kids in different ways, depending on their personalities and all the rest of it. Um, I think a lot depends on um, the atmosphere of our homes and the gospel-saturated atmosphere that we ought to be cultivating in our homes. Um, because what's at the root of, of most anxiety and depression. And I'm, I'm really using that word most. That's an important qualification here. Um, most of the time, it's one aspect or another of sin. Are, th are there chemical imbalances that can induce depression and anxiety? Well, yeah, sure there are. And that's, and that's part of living in a fallen, broken world. Our, we're, we're broken and things don't work the way God designed them to work. And so that has consequences in various parts of our lives. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing the reality of anxiety and depression, especially in our young people. We have to be very discerning about that. Is, is this anxiety rooted in a constant comparison of yourself to somebody else who's got everything? Who's prettier? Who's smarter? Who's stronger? Who's more popular? And, and our kids spend their time focusing on that kind of stuff rather than on who they are as image bearers of God. Another piece that, that bears very strongly on this whole issue of anxiety and depression is what we've taught our kids about their own self-image. And I use self-image purposely and not self-esteem. I don't know a kid on the planet who doesn't come into the world thinking more of themselves than they ought to think. Their esteem is way up here. Self-image is a different issue. What, what makes you have worth and value and dignity? It's, it's not, and we've talked about this before, it's not how much stuff you have, it's not how pretty you are, it's not how strong you are, it's not how popular you are, it's not that you've got all the latest, bestest video games and, you're, and, and you beat the 17 people on the other side of the planet that you've never seen in your life, but your score was higher than theirs. 
That makes you important. No, 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 no. What makes you important is that you are a creature made in the image of God. And you have worth and value and dignity for that reason. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We talked a long time about that. But you, you, you are a real person. You have, you have intelligence. You have will. You have imagination. You have volition. You, have, um, you, you can communicate. You're not, you're not an animal. Okay? You're made in the image of God. And that, that means the world. We got to teach our kids that from the ground up. And that will be a good foundation for dealing with whatever anxiety and depression may come later on in life. Um, two, uh, two recommendations. Uh, bottom row, second from the left, get out of my face. Um, that's dealing with angry teenagers, but their applications in how he approaches that subject to kids who have just shut down and are, and are marked by anxiety and depression. That's a really helpful book, especially um, in helping you as a parent open up avenues of communication to your kid who has shut down. They don't want to talk. What's, what's wrong, Johnny? What's wrong, Susie? Why are, why are you so sad? There's really good, helpful stuff in that book for um, opening up that discussion. And um, I would also, rec- this is going to sound funny to some of you, but every one of you ought to buy and read and read and read Martin Lloyd-Jones's book on spiritual depression. Absolutely outstanding book, whether you're depressed or not, because it is full, it is chock full of really wise counsel and good advice um, for all of us. And you can t- you read that book and then take it and boil it down for your teenager. Or give it to them and, and let them read it. And one of the points Lloyd-Jones makes is, is, and he makes it over and over again, is you need to talk to yourself, not listen to yourself. And in talking to yourself, what do you talk about? You preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over and over and over. Um, Please get that book and read it. I don't know if we've got it on our bookshelf. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's good for every Christian who walks on this planet. Whether they're (laughs) happy-go-lucky. Okay, no such thing as luck. Happy go Providence, um, or uh, temperament, personality, whatever. And kids, kids come into the world different temperaments. Okay, they do. Some kids you you can hardly squash their happiness, and other kids you can hardly get them to smile. They're they're just we're, by nature we have different temperaments, and we got to be sensitive to that as parents, and encourage our kids in good gospel ways. Um, so I, we need to take it seriously. And if we, if we are crystal clear that our child's sense of anxiety or depression is not genuine, then we need to be really firm 
and say, get over it, son. But be careful with that. Okay? A lot, a lot has to do with the atmosphere of our homes. And baby? You know, this class is <clears throat> focused primarily on parenting young children up through adolescence. But parenting doesn't cease when the children grow up and leave the home. And, uh, could you speak to the relationship of parents to their own children, especially those that don't come to Christ? Hmm. And uh, how, you know, as parents... Very uh, try to apply things, but obviously are very conscious of our failures and shortcomings when it comes to parenting and how that plays itself out with children as they grow up. The the question is how do we how do we deal with our adult children? Is that a pretty short summary of your question? How do we deal with our adult children? Our, our relationship with our adult children, and I'm talking about kids that are out of the home. If they're still under your roof, it's a little different. If they're out from under your roof and they're on their own, our relationship changes. It changes with our older children if they're still under our roof, but that's a different, that's a different, a little different ballgame. Um, our adult children are gone, single or married having children of their own or, or not, um, it does change. And um, when our boys, if I can just use a personal example here, when our boys, um, they were in our home for part of their college years and, and out of the home for part of those years. But particularly when they got married, we made it a point to tell our boys that our relationship has changed. You are the head of your home. And I may, I may see things that I really want to speak to that um, I'm not sure I should because you are the head of your home. That's a new arrangement. I am always available to, ask, to, to answer questions to give advice. Um, I'm, I, I told them, I, I'm not going to never speak into your home or your family. Because if I see something really serious going on and I say nothing, then I'm not being a good dad. But, I, but I've told our boys, and, and they're both converted and that makes a difference, you know. Um, I told them both... Um, I am always here to talk to you. Uh, you. You invite me to speak into your situation, and I'll be happy to speak into that. But I, the times I will put myself into your situation will be rare. Um, and again, and if our kids aren't converted, that cha- that's another dynamic that changes as they get older. Um, and especially if they're on their own and they don't have their own family. Our kids are not married and they're living on their own. I would, I would, I would speak often into their lives. Because who else is going to do it? You know? So I would speak often into their lives. 
Um, it changes if they're married and they've got their own home established. You want to be, you want to respect the authority that they have in their home. But you don't want to just take yourself totally out of that picture. Make sure they know that they are welcome to invite you into whatever situation is going on, and you're happy to speak into that. The the times you you put yourself into that situation should probably be in the in the grand scheme of things should probably be relatively rare. Um, there's so many there's so many things that make that, that change the dynamics there. Are they converted, the unconverted, they married, not married? Are they are they living like rebel sinners? I mean just just outwardly rebellious? Are they living respectable lives but still not converted? Uh, there's just lots of stuff that bears on that. But um, I would say overall, we, we don't ever want to totally remove ourselves from their lives. But how we involve ourselves in those lives depends on a lot of things and has to be done with a lot of care and love and wisdom. Hannah. The question is, question is, how do we help our younger children <clears throat> in their interactions with other neighborhood kids who may be in various stages of lifestyle choices <clears throat> that are obviously wrong, particularly in the transgender culture and those kinds of things and homosexuality and so forth? How do we teach our kids? To respond to those things. Um, I will take you down later for asking that question. <laughs> <clears throat> That's a really good question, um, and it deserves a lot of serious thought on our part as parents. Broad general principle here you've got kids in your neighborhood. I'm, I'm making this up, okay? Um, Johnny is a perpetual liar. Um, Susie is um, um, a cheater. And they're in school together. Um, Frankie is as strong a rebel against his mom and dad as um, anybody has ever been. And he's in our neighborhood and he plays with you. 
add 15 other sins. How do you teach your children to respond to those other sinner children? Do you shut them off? Generally, no. There may come a time when somebody's influence on your child becomes so um, strong that we say, you're not allowed to play with him anymore. Okay? That may have to happen. But we're, we're teaching our kids how to live in a culture that is marked by sin everywhere you turn. And we can't, we can't extract ourselves from that culture. We, you can't put a fence up around your Christian home and say, nobody but Christians are allowed in my yard. And I'm using it figuratively, okay? We can't do that. I'm, I, without lessening the horrendous social implications of the whole gender identity movement, that is sin in the same way that a thousand other things are sin. And we don't, we don't withdraw because we live next to liars. We don't withdraw because we live next to thieves. We don't withdraw from culture because we live next to cheaters. We don't withdraw from culture because we live next to drug pushers. Do we let our kids hang around with drug pushers? No, okay. But you see, the, you see the general principle I'm trying to make? We, we have sometimes, and, and understandably so, but I'm not sure if it's right, we've sometimes put the gender identity issues in a whole separate category over here, and we've made that the worst thing ever. Is it horrendous? Well, yeah, yes. Is, is perpetual lying horrendous? Yes. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little tricky when Johnny now wants to be called Susie. What are you going to encourage your kids to do? You still call him Johnny or you're going to call him Susie? I'd probably try to find some way to avoid calling them anything. Hey, you. Because <laughs> that's just fraught with difficulty. If you, if you concede to their transition, it's almost like you're approving of it, and of course you're not. And if you don't, you, you're going to hurt their feelings and shut them off. Well, okay, I'd probably rather not concede their transition and risk hurting their feelings than play into their charade, which is what it is. Um, but somehow we've got to find a way to, for us as adults and to help our children not isolate themselves from our culture because that's not what God has called us to do. And I'm not saying that all our children unconverted should be missionaries. No, I'm not saying that at all. But as families, as family units, um, we have a presence in our communities. And we need to be lights that shine in the darkness. And if we, if we, if we 
put up all those barriers and fences. We're hiding our light under a bushel. Does that help? A little bit. Got time for one more. Anybody else? Martha. I'll say that again. Yeah, the, the question is, do we as grandparents correct our children in the presence of their parents? Do we correct our grandchildren in the presence of our grandchildren's parents? Okay, next. <laughs> okay, here's the... Here, yeah, it's a, it, it is a challenge, but... Um, the way, the way through that challenge is you make absolutely crystal clear to your child that when their children are in your home, these are the things that are expected. Okay? When they're under your roof, parents are not. When the parents are there or not there, this is, this is what we expect of your children. They may not jump on the sofa. I'm just pulling that out, That's whatever. Um, they, they may not, um, they're, they're not allowed to go into this room where grandpa's got all his tools and there's stuff in there that they could get hurt on and so, so they gotta stay in this room. You make very clear to your children what the standards are for your home. And then you make clear to your children, when your kids are in my house and you're not here, I'm going to enforce those standards. When your kids are in my house and you are here, I'm still going to enforce those standards. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to enforce them first. And, and you, you tell your kids, you tell your children that when your kids are in my home, this is what they have to do and this is what they must not do, and I expect you to hold them to that. And if they don't, you go privately out of your shot of Johnny or Susie and say to your child, remember we talked about this? <laughs> you give them the opportunity to correct their child. If they still don't, then you got to step up to the plate. And you make that clear to them out of the gate. Okay? It's, you've, 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 got, you've got to talk about it and, and get the standards clear. And this is what's going to happen in my home. Okay? Good questions. We're out of time. Um, but thank you all. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being here the last, I guess it's been eight weeks, um, or maybe nine. 
And uh, I've enjoyed it. This is a subject dear to my heart. And uh, may the Lord be kind and gracious to us all with our children. And what we want more than anything else is for them to be converted. There's not many joys that are greater than watching your children come to faith in Jesus. And part of that process is all the parenting that you've done from the womb on. And may the Lord bless that to the conversion of our kids. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word does not leave us in the dark. Thank you that there's so many, many things in the scriptures that are clear about how we parent our children. Help us to embrace those principles and practice them and give us discernment to apply them in so many of the difficult situations we face as parents. More than anything, we pray that you would bless our parenting to the conversion of our children. May we see that day come. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.